Welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio, the podcast where marketing leaders inside and outside the sciences share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Connor. Hey there, thanks for listening. This episode of Life Science Marketing Radio is sponsored, as always, by the Association of Commercial Professionals Life Sciences. And the ACPLS 2016 annual meeting will take place in Philadelphia on October 20th and 21st. In fact, today's guest, Harisi Samartzadu, is a co-chair of the program team and will also be a keynote speaker at the event. I think you're going to like this one. So registration will be opening soon. Head over to acpls.org and subscribe so you can be notified by email when that happens. And keep listening to these podcasts to hear from more marketing and sales leaders in our industry. Now, let's get on with the interview. My guest today is the Vice President of Marketing for the Biosciences Division at Thermo Fisher Scientific, and I'm very excited to have her on the show. Harisi Samartzadu, welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for the invitation. Well, I'm, I'm excited. I think this is going to be a great one. So just to set the context um, for this interview so people know kind of where the questions are coming from, can you tell me a little bit about your job and your responsibilities yeah, absolutely. So as you um, described in my title, I am the uh, Vice President of uh, Marketing for the Bioscience Division at Thermo Fisher Scientific. Um, the Bioscience is a fairly large division and we cover um, a lot of... Um, a lot of the academic pharma, pharma biotech, and even some applied markets uh, in the context of um, uh, bioscience research, including molecular biology type of applications, protein biology, cellular analysis, cell cultures, even synthetic biology. So a broad spectrum in uh, cross life science research. My particular responsibility is um, uh, global marketing, so um, we, we pretty much um, uh, influence the marketing strategy, the, uh, uh, the portfolio development, and the commercialization of all the new products. Uh, uh, also, my, my team is responsible for, uh, through the appropriate campaigns and promotions, for all the awareness, demand uh, generation, and obviously conversion to sales. Um, I have also responsibility for um, e-business, uh, e-commerce, and um, digital marketing for biosciences, and um, also for channel marketing. A lot of our goals, our, our go-to-market our go varies. We leverage uh, a lot of different channels, uh, from traditional feet on the ground, from distribution partners, direct marketing all the ways, obviously, to e-commerce and digital channels. So I, I, part of my responsibility is um, managing those channels, the marketing for those channels. And lastly, I have responsibility also for regional marketing, where it, it's, it's, it's self-explanatory. In other words, uh, we have regional marketing teams across the globe where they take the global programs and they regionalizing them and tailoring them to our customers by region. So and so that's in nutshell my responsibility and um, uh, I I obviously not only worry about impacting um, our go to markets our strategy and um, our um, uh, 
successful commercialization, uh, but also uh, I have responsibility for gro growing and um, managing the the marketing function itself. Um, so I work, um, I, a lot of my responsibilities is bringing you talent, growing talent and, uh, and improving the marketing competency and the marketing effectiveness for the bioscience division. Yeah, well, that's, that's a lot. <laughs> so we'll, <laughs> we will cover some of those, but certainly not all of those. Um, and because you mentioned it right there, I, I, I I'm curious what when you say developing the talent and and growing the function itself. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about that because I think that'll be of interest to my marketing audience. Yeah, no, absolutely. This is a big part of my focus is to um to bring to bring the market marketing competency in a, in what typically is in a in a traditional uh, life science supplier type of company um, to the new era, and what I mean by that, to um, to the era of um, the digital um, three twenty four seven interconnected type of uh, customer that we have to serve um, to to leverage the digital channels to to leverage uh, content and uh, data. A lot of data. I mean, uh, data in terms of um, the, the data that our customers generate, but obviously the data about our customers. So I'm a firm believer that our customer base is changing um, faster than we do as marketeers in life science. And what I mean by that is um, we have a new generation of customers entering the marketplace by the thousands. Um, I, if we want to call them millennials, that's fine. But it's, it's, it's a younger generation of customers that they have a different way of, um, in essence, finding information about the product, finding the product, making a decision of, of which product they will pick and, uh, and, 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 how, uh, and making a decision of how we will purchase and actually how we will purchase the product. The, the fundamentals around this customer need, the customer journey, the customer need from that perspective um, has changed tremendously. And I think in life science, marketing is, the marketing function itself, it's pretty much as I said earlier, evolving in a slower pace. So I found it my responsibility to get my marketing team um, uh, sing, modernized, if you wish, or evolve in a, in a similar pace as our customer need. And uh, with that said, I, uh, I'm, I'm working on this twofold. One is I'm trying to cross-pollinate what used to be the traditional marketeers and product management in life sciences with uh, marketing experiences from and marketing marketing um, best practices from the consumer industry, and I do that by hiring. I'm we're trying to hire people uh, with uh, experience from the consumer industry. That's one. Number two, obviously, I'm I'm leveraging whatever uh, tool I can from tradition from training uh, all the way to sending my customer my my marketing. Um, uh, my, my marketing uh, people into uh, conferences and um, training courses, etc. Again, to give them exposure into into this new customer base that I'm talking about, and into new tools that we need to employ from the consumer marketing and beyond, uh, from the consumer industry and beyond, 
to address our customers in today's in today's marketplace. Right. Yeah. Honestly, one, I think that uh, thank you. It's a fantastic answer. And that's a question I've asked some other people and I've gotten various responses on it. So I asked um, a recruiter recently on this podcast about recruiting from outside the industry and they yeah. didn't see that happening so much because they thought, and honestly, um, I used to work at Thermo and I know um, in the group I worked in, it, it was thought to be essential to get people with a technical background. And I've asked a, a recruiter recently who thought that that was true, but I've also talked to other people on this podcast who recognize the same thing you do in that the tech industry and other consumer uh, marketers have skills and awareness of strategies and tactics that that the life sciences are lagging in. Okay. So um, I want to thank I, I just think it's a smart answer and um, there are things to be learned from other industries and uh, it's great that you're sending your team to conferences to learn. Is there, if we had to pick one thing, one focus in the digital area that you're really excited about, what would it be? Um, yeah. Dynamic content, <laughs> content in general, um, lever leveraging content to, as I said earlier, to engage the customer across the, um, across the customer experience journey, um, we we develop a lot of content uh, naturally. I mean, we are technology-driven organizations, um, but we don't do it. We don't deploy it. We don't we don't develop it with uh, the digital me vehicles, the digital media in. Um, in mind, and and even that, even when we, uh, we even when when we do, we don't leverage it to the maximum. So, I'm, I'm focusing a lot on on improving content marketing capabilities in the team. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Uh, uh, I think that's a great idea as well. And Jay Bear, I don't know if you're familiar with him. He's kind of a, he's not in our industry, but he i think thinks the same way and that he says if you create a video for example then you have audio and you can make text but you can't make a video out of text and audio yeah <laughs> <laughs> and pretty pictures even so yeah 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 exactly um yeah it's a different way of thinking about doing things so let's i want to shift gears a little bit um sure. and talk about kind of the global picture so i was um Recently, I went to the Genome meeting in San Diego last month, and I talked to a couple people mm -hmm. with respect to the ACPLS and what they want to to know, uh, uh, what would be helpful to them. And one of the gentlemen, um, you know, so China and Latin America came up, yeah. and um, so let's first talk about China, and then I'll I'll ask you about Latin America. So tell me what you think about China as an opportunity, because obviously companies need to go there to grow, but also there must be a challenge because they're growing and competing as well, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. No, China represents a tremendous opportunity, which is, which is which we are scratching the surface or the tip of the iceberg, if you will, if you wish. I think all, most of us that we play there. Um, personally, I think that the biggest um, the biggest challenge. And, and let me before I say that, before I go into challenges, 
also uh, obviously working for a large corporation uh, like Thermo Fisher Scientific, we have, and without going into confidential information, we have done a lot of, um, we have ongoing investment in China and we've tried different models and as, as other multinationals. Um, the, um, the keys to China is obviously a couple of things here. Um, not, not to underestimate the, um, the local competition. And I think a lot of multinationals going into China have done that. They, they literally ignore the local competition. Um, uh, I will not go into cultural differences. I think this is a given for, um, for uh, every time we go, particularly um, Western, um, uh, Western Europe or, you know, or, or North America-based companies, they will always need to be culturally sensitive when they get out. W- with that said, um, I don't know if you are familiar with the concept of... Um, uh, reverse, it, it, I think it's, the term is reverse engineering, but in, in essence, is I think GE, helped, GE um, um, pioneered it um, first, where, in other words, instead of instead of trying to push products that they are developed in the in the in North America into China, I, I, I think companies like ours and and should should focus the other way. In other words. Uh, um, Start from China and <laughs> develop products potentially in China for China, and 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 if if applicable, commercialize them um, the other way out to, into the rest of the world. Um, I, I think that will be more of a, a more of a winning proposition versus the traditional way. Try, again, trying to force products and uh, solutions that they are tailored for North America, let's say, to be successful in um, in China. So that's uh, that's how personally I'm thinking uh, about uh, China. Um, so um, we are investing a, a lot of time and effort, obviously, staying close um, to the field in the country um, uh, with respect to voice of the customer and um, and cultural differences and uh, sensitivities, as as I mentioned earlier. But but. But I don't. I don't think the game will be won by pushing from outside in. Uh, the, the reverse, in my mind, will be the winning proposition. That's that's fascinating. So, the thing that strikes me when you say that is, what about the requirements for infrastructure development? If is is that a big part of it? If you're going to go over there and say we need to develop these products locally? Yeah, I think the country has. Uh, there is tremendous um, improvements that have been happening the last few years from that perspective. So I, I don't think in, in um, China the infrastructure is much of an issue and it is in other countries like, like let's say, India. Right. So you're, And what I meant by infrastructure is really like um, factories themselves. So you could go over yes. there perhaps and, and find businesses that are doing similar things and, and – uh, cooperate with them in whatever way, whether you acquire them or partner with them to develop the things that you think the market in China needs. I, I think so. Sorry, I, I misunderstood your question. I thought you meant literally, literally infrastructure, like or, roads and so on. No, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, infrastructure like uh, you know supply chain and commerce and yeah, distribution, etc. It's no that that's exactly what I was I was uh, referring to. In other words, do do. 
it's, it's China in a way in a way go on board the concept of China for China that they have been um, they have been pushing and um, and develop uh, the capabilities there. Right. Yeah. I like that. So something you said there. Um, well, that whole idea of developing things locally. So this is exactly what a person um, from a North American company who works in Latin America said to me. I, I said, what would you like to know? Like if you were going to go to the ACPLS meeting, um, what kinds of things would you like to learn about? And he said, I want to understand how U.S. companies think about doing business in Latin America um, because he said these he didn't say it exactly the same way you did, but it was very similar to the products and the marketing is all developed in North America. And then it's pushed down there. And he said, I don't think they realize the difference in the realities down here. Yeah. And so is Latin America different than China? Would you do the same thing? Yeah, that's a good question. I think uh, high level, the approach can be similar, but there are fundamental issues between the, the um, the cultures and also let's call it the local infrastructure in this case. Okay. Um, I think um, the uh, I'm trying to be careful here with my answers so that I don't cause trouble, you know, with, from the perspective of confidentiality. But um, the um, the focus it's still more on China. I mean, there, there is the uncertainty that comes from uh, the Latin American market recently kind of put them put them on a, on, a, on a second priority if you wish but if we forget that okay still I think uh, and I'm looking at the experiences that we had in um, in Latin America the the fundamentals of the approach is similar in other words the products need to be tailored the products the promotions the solutions, the go-to-market need to be totally tailored to that particular culture. And when I say culture in North, in, in Latin America, I, I, I put more emphasis. I mean, the Latin American cultures are much stronger. Um, and I don't know how to explain that. But the messaging, everything needs to be tailored, um, if not developed from within, uh, from the local teams in, uh, in, in Latin America. Um, also, I wouldn't say everything, but we, we also had done certain investments for local manufacturing there. Um, you cannot, as simple as that, you cannot compete by bringing, for various reasons, by bringing certain products from the outside into uh, the Latin American market. Also, the, what makes Latin America more difficult from my perspective is obviously Rules and regulations, uh, even to the uh, even for importation, they um, and customs they vary from uh, from country to country, uh, which makes the whole continent even more difficult to play compared to say, compared let's say to China. Right. So a market, I don't know exactly the same size, but in China, whatever the size is, one way to do things in Latin America. Ten ways to do things. Ten ways to do things, exactly. Right. No, that's fascinating. Um, so um, are there other – now I'm just going more general. Other changes or opportunities you see in the life science business? Yeah, no. Um, 
I think, uh, honestly, the the opportunities in my mind are not going to come from uh, pushing the technology barriers and, you know, um, uh, improving, let's say, um, sensitivity, sensitivity of assay X by a little bit more or um, reproducibility and resolution by Y and Z. Um, I mean, we can go on and talk about technological advancements, let's say, in the context of uh, life science like CRISPR for genome editing and single cell analysis. I mean, yeah, technologically, we're driving towards detecting, uh, being able to, to, to do assays at the single cell level. I think we will get there. Um, I think the big change that it's happening, uh, I, I will tie it back with, to, the, uh, to the introductory question of, or discussion of ours. It's about the customer. I think the, cons- the customer is changing. Um, it, it's, becoming, it's becoming more and more of a typical consumer. Um, and when I say that, I, I, I'm referring to the customer on the bench, but also the procurement agent or the lab manager or the, you know, if you look at them, they are adopting more and more um, processes uh, and habits from, um, from from the rest of the consumer industry. Something that if you, I remember going to, having similar discussions or going to different, to conferences around these topics and talk with other marketeers and, uh, the notion of our customer being a consumer was like, no way. They are scientists. They are thinking differently. Their, their money don't come from their pocket. I mean, I think all this is gone. Um, I, I, I think the landscape is, is changing dramatically. So the games will be won on how we treat uh, these customers of ours as consumers that have personal needs, that they have career needs, that they have family needs, and they have preferences in terms of, again, how they find information, how they purchase, how they pay, um, and so on and so forth. Um, And let me add one more thing. Um, Also, in terms of going back to technology versus, um, versus experience, I want to add one more thing, convenience. Um, I think uh, focusing on improving the the convenience factor when it comes to how our customers engage with our products and also improving their productivity, uh, I, I think this is this is where, uh, as I said earlier, the the games will be won in the marketplace. This is where marketeers and organizations will be able to make the difference. Uh, for our customers moving forward versus incremental technological advancements. Yes. So um, it's interesting. I I wrote a blog post around that yesterday, and it wasn't on the technological improvements. It was actually around um, products that are already commoditized, like Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. simple reagents. But it sounds like you would say that even at the high end, many products are becoming commoditized to a degree and it's yeah. the experience around those things that makes the difference. I think you, you summed it up pretty well. I think, yes, technological, I mean, history has proven that technological innovation is, it's a, it's a matter of time to be, 
copied or or become more of a mainstream if not commoditized and and then the the um, where we can make the differences in all these other aspects of the customer experience and how how you make them available. So I was talking to um, David Salmon, who used to work for Roche Molecular. He's moved on to Abbott, but he said, you know, a customer doesn't um, look for information about products on Facebook and buy things on Amazon one way, and then go into the lab and think about buying something in a completely different way. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and. You just think about all the ways that um, our consumer, how much time we spend in those consumer interactions that um, are really the thing that are training our brains how we want to do things. And yeah. the life sciences should have to catch up to that and, exactly. and recognize that. Yeah. Well, Harisi, this has been a fantastic interview. I have learned a lot. We've gotten a lot of things I'm I'm really looking forward to hearing whatever you choose to talk about at the ACPLS meeting. And I just want to thank you again for taking the time to give us all this great insight. Oh, my, my pleasure. And thanks for the opportunity again. Yeah. Wow. Harisi had something for everyone in there. She had a lot of interesting things to say, didn't she, about building competencies in a marketing team, her approach to content, the importance of convenience for customers, as well as how she thinks about things like approaching China and Latin America from a corporate point of view. I'm really looking forward to hearing her at the ACPLS annual meeting in October. As I mentioned before, keep listening to these podcasts to hear from other people who will be speaking at that event. And please, as always, why not tell two of your colleagues who ought to be listening to these episodes? And thank you again. I will see you in two weeks.